Good morning, this is Stephen Davis for Feet for Thoughts, taking every thought captive to Christ. Um, hope everyone's having a blessed day. Um, I just wanted to open up a topic of discussion today. Uh, looking back in the church's history um, in the first century um, and centuries following that, the church was often accused of many things. Uh, one particular accusation that came against the church was the accusation of antisocial behavior. And I just had this thought this morning I want to be a purveyor of anti-social media um, and let me explain what i mean by that so the accusation of anti-social behavior was kind of heaped uh, upon the christians by the romans um, and i'm getting this from um, christianity.com um, and they have a list of 10 accusations that were levied against the church and this is number nine which is anti-social behavior so it says this was related to the charge above which was lack of patriotism since the Christians would not participate in the civic festivals nor involve themselves in what they considered immoral behavior, many Romans resented their independence and their conviction that they were in the world but not of the world. So Christians were often scorned and charged with antisocial behavior. Maybe it will be apt to read the previous ones. So that was lack of patriotism. Uh, there was no distinction between church and state in the Roman Empire. All civic festivals were religious. It was expected that all would participate and thank the gods for their blessings to the empire. Christians would not participate because it would imply they were worshipping gods they denied. This would be idolatry. Further, Christians would not join the army because they did not believe in killing. So there was some validity to this charge, yet Christians affirmed their loyalty to the state, prayed for the emperor and lived lives as exemplary citizens. So this is my question today and I'm opening it up for people to call in and give your opinions looking at society today what do you think that we christians need to let go of in order to be seen as antisocial? you know what kind of things are we engaging in in the culture that maybe we should be sanctifying ourselves from setting ourselves apart from um and I'm saying not to like invoke the charge of antisocial behavior, but more so to live out the biblical principle of being in the world, but not of the world. So whether that's um, festivals, national holidays, whether that's um, interest in sports or celebrity culture, wherever it is. And if you have any ideas, call in, put in you know, your opinion and those that I think I like, those that are really interesting, I'm going to share and interact with the comments as well. So, uh, grace and peace and have a great day. Hey, what's going on, Stephen? Uh, that's a good question, man. I like. I would say um, pay attention and really observe one's own, your own convictions, uh, the things that you uh, definitely feel go against your walk with Christ, that go against your, uh, they actively work against your witness um you know that and those things are personal those things are are things that you're going to know um would hurt um and a lot of times in pop culture um there are things that are that are popular with with the rest of the world that definitely go against our convictions you know um just the the ratchet attitude uh being uh public drunkenness stuff like that uh, and then there's others but i only got 60 seconds hello folks um steven davis here for thoughts and footstools 
also known as V4 Thoughts. Um, so yeah, just continuing the discussion from earlier, um, I guess really about how we as the body of Christ um, are we meant to live in a countercultural way. Um, so shout out to Gavin for chipping in there and pitching his thoughts. Um, I guess it raises the initial question to me about is it purely about what's personal to us and what's going to hurt our personal witness? I do think that's important, um, you know, obviously in the relationships that we have. Um, but I think my question is really uh, broadening it out to the entire body of Christ at large and what it really means. Um, so going back to the, um, the article or portion of the article that I shared earlier, this is from Christianity.com concerning the accusations that were levied against the church. Um, I wanted to read the rest of it and then go on to talk about uh, a couple of other things. Um, so it starts off saying, in quotes, behold how they love one another. This was a hallmark of the early Christians, yet these same believers were the object of repeated persecutions and oppression for almost three, uh, the first 300 years. Why were the believers so hated in the Roman Empire? What were they guilty of? What were the charges against them? Before you read any further, they have this little, I'll cut in there, they have this like one poster, I'll skip down to that. Um, these are the accusations that were levied against the church. The so number one was cannibalism. It says the Roman world could not understand the communion or Eucharist. They heard references to partaking of the Lord's body and assumed there was cannibalism going on behind closed doors. This accusation didn't last long as the Christians were able to show it was bread and wine, not human flesh they were using. Secondly, disruption of business, guilty as charged. In some places, the growth of the church hurt the income of the pagan religions by curtailing the sale of animals and sacrificed meat. An example of that is Acts 19.21. Thirdly, gross immorality, including incest. So the believers called each other brother and sister and professed love for one another. The pagans assumed that this had to involve lust and immorality. The exemplary lives for Christians eventually put this accusation to rest. Fourth, anti-family behavior. There was an element of truth in this charge. When one became a believer, he or she was welcomed into the family of Christ. This new family became the Christian's deepest commitment. The new faith also typically made believers better family members than they had been before. But when a conflict came up between the natural family and the family of Christ, their first loyalty was to Christ. Fifth, poverty. Christians were ridiculed by the pagans because so many of their number were poor. Their God was not all that good, the pagans figured, if he didn't care that they were poor. And he wasn't all that great if he didn't do anything about it. The Christians countered that there were advantages to traveling light. Wealth could become a snare and besides, they were rich in what counted most in life. They somehow not only managed to find enough to get by, but were even able to share with others in need out of their meager resources. Sixth, atheism. The Roman world had a multitude of gods and statues all around to represent them. Christians insisted there was only one true God invisible in the heavens and they refused to honor the Roman gods. Thus, the Romans considered them atheists. Seventh, novelty. The Roman world honored tradition and the ancient religions were revered because they were old. Christianity was accused of being a new upstart. Traditional Romans feared that converts were merely seduced by the novelty of this new faith. 
Christians counted that they were heirs of Judaism, an ancient faith the Romans recognized. Besides that, the Christians claimed they were the most ancient faith of all. They worshipped the God who existed before creation. Uh, eighth, this is a lack of patriotism, which I talked about before, followed by antisocial behavior. And the tenth one is causing disasters because the Christians would not honor the Roman religion and gods. When flood, famine, or disaster came, it was assumed that the Christians were the cause. The gods were sending punishment, many Romans figured, because of the Christians' atheism. This charge played a large role in the notable persecutions at Lyons in 177 under Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Satirizing the prevailing view, the church father Tertullian put it this way, If the Tiber reaches the walls, if the Nile does not rise to the fields, if the sky doesn't move or the earth does, if there is famine, if there is plague, the cry is at once, the Christians to the lion. Interesting stuff, and we'll look at that more when we come back. Everybody and welcome back to FIFA Thoughts. Um, so yeah, the reason why I really wanted to get into that article wasn't so much to you know talk about what you know whether we as the church should go back to you know exactly being like the church of the first, second, or third century. Um, it was really just to, to highlight the point that um, that church or the the people you know the church that was being accused by the Romans was known primarily for the distinctives of the faith. So they were known for things like the Lord's Supper. They were known for the fact that they loved one another. They were known for the fact that they uh, didn't have an attachment to riches, that they lived in poverty and yet were content um, that they were faithful to the one true God of Israel and that they were set apart from the uh, religious culture around them because there was no separation of church and state. So all of the civic festivals were religious. You know, it's not like, um, you know, many of the, the national holidays, for example, that well, we don't have that many in the UK other than Christmas and Easter, to be fair. Um, but something like, you know, St. Patrick's Day, for example, if there was any religious connotation to it, that it really isn't a part of our culture. Or, you know, contrary to that, you've got Independence Day today in the States or Thanksgiving. There isn't really a strictly religious element to them. You can actually uh, distinguish the festival or the holiday from any kind of religious connotation quite easily. Um, but how I think that, you know, we as a church today can really be countercultural, can really be antisocial as it were, can really, I guess, engage the world and show the world who we are, is primarily gonna be through worldview, which is part of the ethos of um, my organization, Thoughts for Footstools. Um, known in the media presence as FIFA Thoughts um, and my primary scripture for that is 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 to 5 for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ so that's really where I'm parked at is taking every thought captive to obey Christ making every worldview, every ideology all theology bow the knee to Christ, taking a captive, taking it to Christ and asking Christ, what would you have me do with this worldview? What would you have me do with this idea? So if you look at that, everything that's there is about information. It's all about knowledge. So arguments, opinions, knowledge and thoughts is all about information. So really what we're facing primarily, and this is the same back then, is a clash of worldviews or a battle of ideas. Spiritual warfare is primarily a battle of ideas um, and so 
you know, get into some discussion with fellow believers today, um, one of the things that kind of came up was, I guess, how we engage um, the culture in terms of media. How do we engage the culture in terms of, you know, discussion was around music, I guess, primarily, but I think it applies just as much to movies. And I think, again, it comes down to this issue of worldview. Um, but what we need to be doing as believers to really engage the culture around us is to be countercultural, to present an alternate worldview and to tear down the worldviews that are there and build up the biblical worldview. And I think we need to do that for everyone, because when people realize that the way that they think about things just doesn't measure up with reality, doesn't conform to truth, um, doesn't measure up to morality, um, there's no more reason for them to hold to those worldviews and we're, we're moving, removing stumbling blocks for them that would prevent them from being able to truly engage uh, with the good news and with the biblical worldview. And in a moment, I want to read a portion from a book, um, which I think really engages as well to leave you with something to think about. So this is an extract from a book by a guy called Brian Gadawa. Anyone who knows me knows I would have been going on about this book um, probably for a couple of weeks now, called Hollywood Worldviews, Watching Films with Wisdom and Discernment. Again, that's Brian Gadawa. Uh, Google him, you'll be able to find his website. He's a Christian who works within the film industry. Um, I believe he wrote the movie uh, To End All Wars. I believe he was a screenwriter for that movie, but you know, he had some really great insights. Um, a lot of useful information to really help believers to navigate and watch films with wisdom and discernment. And the reason I think it's such an important book is because I don't think that these principles can just apply to movies. I think they can just as easily apply to music because that's where I feel that many Christians struggle is that we could, we're very quick to talk about music and the things that we don't like about music and whether we should or shouldn't listen to certain types of music where we kind of tend to maybe be a bit inconsistent in our positions is when it comes to movies so there are movies that there's music we won't listen to because of the content but we'll watch the movies that has the same content and so the question is do we just stop watching and listening to all of this stuff outright or is there any value to be found in actually engaging with this stuff because one of the things that Brian Gadawa talks about in the book is we can either become cultural gluttons or we can become cultural anorexics and what he basically means is if you're a cultural anorexic you're so removed from the culture around you that you can't possibly engage the people that you're meant to be reaching because you know you don't know what they're watching you don't know what they're listening to and so you don't know how to engage with the worldviews that are being fed to them and how to really recognize and ultimately deconstruct them whereas a cultural glutton is someone who's so engaged with the culture that they're just taking everything in and over engorging themselves with things that may not ultimately be good for them so this is taken from the first chapter of the book um, which is called sex violence and profanity um, so just going to read this one paragraph he says although violence and sexual immorality are results of the fall in eden not all accounts of sex and violence are intrinsically immoral it is the context through which these misbehaviors are communicated that dictates their destructive or redemptive nature. It is not merely the detailed acts of violence portrayed in teen slasher films like Friday the 13th, Halloween or Hostel 
that make them detrimental to the minds of youth it is that these acts exist within a nihilistic view of the world with murder demythologized through diabolical detail and the existential association of sex with death the devaluing of human life is realized through evil and entertainment on the other hand films like schindler's list braveheart letters from iowa jima and the last king of scotland portray equally graphic brutality but their context is ultimately redemptive that is the depiction of man's inhumanity toward man repulses rather than entertains and points toward redemption from such evil similar extremities of violence can issue from different contexts and produce opposite results so what he said here about destructive and redemptive in nature is what i think is the really important point when we're engaging things like music we need to be asking ourselves what is the worldview that's being put forth through the music or what is the worldview being put forth through the film number one number two is there anything within the content that it you know is it ultimately destructive or is it ultimately redemptive in nature if it's a movie or a song about crime is it showing in the end the consequences of crime that the consequences don't pay in which case it can be redemptive or is it dehumanizing people and glorifying violence for the sake of violence or sex for the sake of sex in which case it is destructive or to put it in more biblical terminology does it build up or does it tear down um, and i think that's the primary question that we need to be asking ourselves as we engage with music as we engage with movies is is there any redemptive value or is what i'm being entertained by what i'm watching is it ultimately destructive and that is fee for thoughts all right so here i am um just musing over and thinking over uh same issue that many people have been thinking about the last uh probably week and a half two weeks now i'm not sure how long it's been uh since uh lecrae gave his speech at the BET Awards for winning, you know, the best gospel inspiration artist. You know, many people, and you know, this is an ongoing discussion, many people are questioning um, his moving away or trying to move away from the label of Christian rapper. Um, and, you know, I've read his book and I thought it was a great book. It really gave me a lot of insight into who he is and really where his heart is at and what he's trying to do and what he's trying to accomplish. Um, and I found that in many ways I completely flocked with what he was doing. You know, I, I, I agreed in many ways with what he was doing um, in that. And I understood his rationale for why he wanted to move away from the Christian rapper label in a sense that for him, he was finding that having that label be the first thing that people know or hear about him when they meet him was a, a, effectively a stumbling block or an obstacle to people actually engaging with his content. Now, all of that being said, um, and whilst I feel that and I understand how many people wouldn't want to be immediately identified by that label, I guess I just have to ask the question. When we look in scripture and when we look at the examples that we find in scripture, do we see a pattern where people are trying to disassociate themselves from being labeled so that people don't identify themselves with, you know, a particular ideology? So I understand if you're a gospel singer, if you're a gospel rapper that associates you with a worldview in the way that being a jazz musician, 
being a blues musician or just being a rapper wouldn't associate you with. You know, none of them have a worldview attached to, you know, to the to the label. So I guess the first question I would ask is, is that a bad thing that there is a worldview attached to that label? And the second question I would ask is when we look at the example in scripture, do we see people trying to disassociate themselves from what defines them as belonging to God? Or do we find the opposite? So a couple of scriptures I wanted to throw out there. The first one is Exodus 13, verse 9 to 10. And this is talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover. So Moses says, It shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this as a, as a, keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Second scripture I wanted to look at was Exodus, uh, sorry, Ezekiel 20 verse 12. And the Lord says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And then the next one I had in mind was Deuteronomy chapter 6 um, from verse 4 through to verse 9. But um, I'll pick it up from verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So his commandments. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this idea of things being a sign um, or a memorial between your eyes and a sign on your hand, that should be familiar language to everybody, right? And it should be familiar language because it sounds a lot like this from Revelation chapter 13. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, what many people don't realize is that in the next chapter, there is another mark as well. So chapter 14, verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So when we come back, let's look into what it means to be marked between your eyes and on your hand. So welcome back. Um, so yeah, we're looking at Christian labels, yay or nay. Um, and just looking at the examples in scripture of marks between the eyes or memorials between the eyes and on the hands. So in Deuteronomy 6, God talks about having his commandments being bound as a sign on the hand and as frontlets between the eyes. And elsewhere we read about the Passover being a memorial between the eyes, so on the forehead and on the hand. And then Revelation 13, the mark of the beast is on the right hand and on the forehead. In Revelation 14, the name of the Father and of the Son is written on the foreheads. And this isn't the only place uh, where we find this same sort of language. It pops up several other times. Uh, it pops up again in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its mark and receives the mark on his forehead, on his right hand, he will drink the cup of the, of 
the wine of God's wrath. Um, but the one I was particularly thinking of is Ezekiel 9, uh, verse 4. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Um, so everyone is marked with some kind of spiritual mark or spiritual label now we may be fooled into thinking that this is only something that is seen in the spiritual realm if we only looked at ezekiel 9 and we only looked at the book of revelation but deuteronomy 6 and the passage that i read from exodus about the passover show that these were also things that should be able to be seen so here's the thing what exactly are these um in ancient thinking you thought with your mind and you acted with your right hand. So we're talking about worldview, number one, and we're talking about actions that come forth from that worldview. And so what you believe and how you behave mark you as either belonging to God or belonging to the beast. So if that is the case and there is spiritual connotations to this, should we be so quick to want to divorce ourselves of labels? regardless of the fact that they may be stumbling blocks to other people what you know what if if god wants us or commands us or compels us to have these marks so for israelites it was part of their culture it was part of who they were as the people of god to be set apart in this way to be sanctified in this way that people would be able to recognize them when they saw them they'd recognize them by the passover they recognized them by the fact that they kept the Sabbath. They recognized them by the fact that they were circumcised. Well, I don't know if they showed it or what, I don't know. But they were recognized by the fact that they kept the commandments on there. Now, I, you know, many of them actually took this very literally. So you'll see them with the boxes on their arms and on their foreheads, literally binding the scriptures to them. Or you go to their houses, it's bound on the doorpost. But I mean, what would be the equivalent today? Maybe it would be wearing a t-shirt with God's commandments or the word of God on it. Maybe it would be a tattoo, maybe it would be a cap. Um, some way that just shows, you know, who you're pledging your allegiance to. One of the clearest ways that we're meant to do that now is with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is meant to mark us because the Lord's Supper came out of the Passover. So if the Passover marked the people of God as belonging to him, then so does the Lord's Supper mark us as belonging to Christ. So again, the question is, should we be so quick to divorce ourselves of the marks that the Lord has given us to set us apart as belonging to him? That's the question of the hour. And when we come back, we're going to delve into it even more. So the other thing that I've really had in mind when just thinking about this idea of Christian labels, um, I think what I always come back to is, is the Muslims. Um, Muslims don't get any flack for bearing who they are for everyone to see. So the guys, they wear the caps, they have the beards, they have the robes, the women, they're wearing the headscarves. Like you can recognize these people from far away. You know exactly who they are and therefore you know the worldview that they're coming from. But this is the thing to assume from the worldview that you know everything about them and that you know who, what kind of person they are would be considered in some circles to be prejudiced or Islamophobic or stereotypical. So if we understand that when it comes to Muslims, why are people so un afraid? And I'm talking about on the Christian side, 
Why are we so afraid to be as bold? And when people misunderstand or misinterpret or make assumptions about who we are, why do we not turn around and say, well, listen, are you going to judge a woman in a hijab? And assume that she's a terrorist because she's wearing a hijab. Are you going to assume that the guy who has a bruise on his forehead is a, a is a Salafi Wahhabi, you know, Osama bin Laden type guy who wants to come and blow you blow you up, just because you know that's the sign of how much he's he's prayed in the mosque that you've got that bruise on his forehead. Like these people have marked themselves, and they're proud of the mark. They will bear the mark that they have. And if anyone says anything, it's just like, well, you're just being, you know, bigoted. You're just being prejudiced. You don't even understand me. You don't even know me. Whereas we Christians, it's just like, you know, if someone makes a flash judgment about us because they see that we're a Christian, it's like, well, okay, let me like put this thing back in the box so that I can infiltrate you first. Um, and sometimes I wonder about that approach. Sometimes I wonder, should we not just be upfront about what kind of person we are, you know? Um, yes, I'm a Christian. If that's a problem, I'm sorry, but that's who I am. Um, but instead, we seem more concerned with what well, I want to infiltrate you as far as I can before I reveal who I am. And I know we're meant to be as you know shrewd as serpents and as gentle as doves, but I wonder if that is the context in which we're supposed to be doing it. I just have questions about exactly how are we meant to be doing this? How are we meant to be penetrating the culture? How are we meant to be... Uh, being in the world but not of the world again how are we meant to be being distinct from the world um and should we really be afraid that the label of christian is going to throw up barriers um as i showed before earlier today talking about the article from christianity.com you know, there were all kinds of accusations that were levied against christians because of the way that they lived but these things were also the distinctives of their faith these were the things that set them apart as being Christians and yes they were vilified many of them were persecuted some of them were even crucified because of those very things but those were the things that made them who they were and they weren't afraid to die on that but today because we want to you know for the sake of wanting to reach as many people as we can we will try and put the label away sometimes or maybe it's like well I don't want people to just make a flash judgment about me based on that I, and I get it but what if that's not the point you know what if the point isn't about what judgment we want people to make about us you know um so the example that immediately pops into my mind is the prophet Isaiah um so turn into Isaiah uh, chapter 6 where he has his vision he goes into the you know into the temple of the Lord he sees the vision of the Lord um, and then the Lord says to him in verse 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. And God says, Go, say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. Then Isaiah says, How long, Lord? So how long do I have to do this for? And the Lord says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. So in other words, Isaiah had to go talk to these people until they were sick of hearing him. And when Isaiah asked, how long do I have to do this for? God says, until the people are swept away in judgment. So that's what he had to do. He had to throw it in their face until people were sick. Are we as bold today? 
So I guess in wrapping this up, you know, my point is here you had the prophet Isaiah who had to go and he had to take this message, even though people were going to be sick of hearing it. Um, and I think tradition actually says that he was even put inside a tree and sawn in half because he kept preaching this message. So he didn't really, you know, he didn't really want to go ahead and, and, and proclaim this kind of message where people didn't want to hear it or people weren't going to listen. And he basically had to dull their ears. And sometimes I think maybe are we, you know, are we hesitant because of the effect that proclaiming that message will have on people? But you know what? On the flip side, I also understand that the message that we are to proclaim isn't as simple as Jesus loves you or Jesus died for your sins. Um, it's really not that simple. The good news is the good news of the kingdom of God, which means that in order to proclaim that message, we have to explain what all of those things mean. What is the kingdom of God and what are the implications of God? So talking about social justice, for example, that is included within the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus was speaking to a nation that was under oppression from a foreign invader. So to talk about the kingdom of God coming was to talk about being set free and redeemed from oppression. Um, you look in the Old Testament and many of the laws when God was telling the people to be righteous and just. He was talking about, listen, don't abuse the fatherless, the widows, the orphans. The sojourners, strangers, foreigners, people who were downtrodden and people who were oppressed. So to fight for social justice has biblical precedent, right? So the gospel, the good news entails proclaiming a worldview, not just a message, not just a, a phrase, not just buzzwords. It's an entire way of looking at all things which is the theme here at Feet for Thoughts, taking every thought captive to Christ. It's about cultivating a biblical worldview, looking at all things through the lens of scripture. So it's not always going to be as simple as just proclaiming a message or sticking it on a t-shirt. And therefore, yes, sometimes it's going to entail that we have relationships with people. But my only hesitancy with trying to put away the label is when you look at Muslims, they are carrying their ideology all over them and it isn't closing doors it's opening doors because they are staying consistent they are sticking to their guns and they're not allowing themselves to be put in a closet they're there and they're proclaiming who and what they are so just something for us to think about as christians so hand over to you guys anyone wants to call in and give your opinions feel free but otherwise, this is V for Thoughts.